I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way a war was fought, and the way a story should be told. And for our intents and purposes, it is also the Storyteller's Church, because here we really talk about every facet of story. We talk about family lore. We talk about... um moral stories, we talk about criminal stories, we talk about fiction and nonfiction and everything in between. And really kind of, you know, turn it all around and, and try to look at a story from every vantage point. And um, this week, speaking of story, I have, well, I've been thinking a lot about place. Uh, the, the places where we build our stories, our life stories, and of course the stories that we write and read about. And, um, you know, it was occurring to me how, you know, God, I've, I've always been just such an avid traveler and, a, you know, a lot of the fiction that I write, um, you know, takes place all over the world. You know, I write Cold War thrillers, so those obviously take place um, to a great extent in Cold War hotbeds like Eastern Europe and, you know, Russia and even India um, in this new sort of Cold War detective noir that I'm writing that that takes place in 1959, um, Bombay, which is now called Mumbai. But um, I was I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about, uh, you know, here I am. I'm also uh, a child of immigrants from um, what was then Czechoslovakia and is now either the Czech Republic or Czechia, depending on who you talk to, right? So, you know, I've always been looking outside of my home, looking across the sea and sort of, you know, I've always loved travel and, and, and loved um, imagining myself in different places. But one of the things that has been changing for me in the last few years is just how much more I've been interested in the local, in um, where I grew up. I grew up outside of Chicago and where I live now. I live in central Virginia in a semi-rural area. And, you know, I've, I've just had this, you know, incredible interest in, um, in where I go and what I do every day. And it has gotten me thinking. Now, a little while back, I went on this Sally Mann kick. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Sally Mann is, she is really a very controversial and wonderful photographer, um, Southern photographer. She's actually, she is lives not far from where we live here in Virginia. Um, but anyway, in the span of a few days, I, I binge watched this CBS Sunday morning segment on her and um, this documentary about her life and her photography. And when that wasn't enough, I read her memoir, Hold Still, which is a great title, right? And I reacquainted myself with her stunning body of work, um, at least what we have of it on our bookshelves, um, from the very, very controversial photos of her young children in immediate family. Um, they're controversial because uh, she, you know, photographed um, her children, obviously in a very artistic way, um, kind of naked, playing in streams and such. And, um, well, I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to describe because she photographed them sometimes in these very adult contexts um, 
for instance, there's this one photo of her son, you know, I believe it's her son, you know, lying in a field and just sort of stargazing, but it looks like a dead body, you know? So it's it's from a, this very um, artistic point of view, I would say. Um, and then she, we also have this book of hers called called uh, What Remains, and those are her, well, her visual meditations on death. Um, she took pictures of dead bodies at uh, the body farm, I believe it's in Tennessee, where, where uh, you know, as a, as a sort of, not a medical experiment, but sort of observationally, um, dead bodies are, are left to um, decompose, you know, outside, and, and uh, this is studied. Anyway, <laughs> despite how compelling I find her process, you know, and her, her meticulous attention to detail, what really stuck with me most is her philosophy of capturing the local the immediate rather than the the highly conceptual the wild the wide flung you know and the international she talks she talks at great length in her memoir about being a southerner and loving the south warts and all you know in the way you love your family even if some of them make you'd want to put a nail gun to your temple <laughs> or theirs and Having now spent a good deal of my adult life in the South, interpreting Sally Mann's work and reading her life story has really made me think about my own evolution in thought about my adopted home. Now, as I told you, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And I was surrounded by neighbors with last names like O'Malley and Dulick and Zito and Dombrowski. And I'm a Yankee, you know, who moved to the South with many, if not all, of the same prejudices that my Northern peers excel at. Now see if this sounds familiar. The South is racist, backward, quaint, overly mannered, full of fake smiles. It's uneducated, unenlightened and uninterested in ever evolving out of its troubled past. Now, I won't discount them. Stereotypes don't appear out of nowhere in a puff of pink genie smoke. Like gossip, they hold some truth. Except that the South is also beautiful in a weeping, classical sense. It's lush. Its air is like hot breath in the summertime. And its people are neighborly and stubborn and courtly and languorous. I mean, case in point, when I dropped off an antique clock at a repairman's, um, this was like in April, and I asked when I should plan on picking it up, the clerk looked at me and then he looked at a clock on the wall. And I kid you not, he said, why don't you try back and at about uh, Thanksgiving, ma'am. Now this place was as quiet as church and the man as leisurely as a sip on a mint julep. Now as a compulsive storyteller and story listener, living in the South has provided fascination and fodder for me. 
like the Irish, Southerners are lyrical in their thought and in their speech, and they chronicle the local through, well, through everything, through verse and drama, a pick on a guitar. Think Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, Frederick Douglass, Kate Chopin, William Faulkner, Tennessee Williams, and this is only a sampling from the immediate post-Civil War period. You know, a time when the South was utterly devastated and had no business contributing to the canon. Post-war stars of the literati include Eudora Welty, Flannery O'Connor, Harper Lee, William Styron, Truman Capote, Tom Wolfe, Anne Rice, John Grisham, Pat Conroy, and Tom Robbins, just to name a few. And by post-war, by the way, I mean post-World War II for the most part. Now, okay, I know I went heavy on the writers here, but, you know, what do you expect? But it's also because of the South that we have jazz, right? And country and rock and roll music. Around the world, hearts ache and flutter and rejoice to the distinctly Southern sounds of artists like Johnny Mercer, Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, Elvis Presley, obviously, Johnny Cash, Dolly Parton, love her, Lyle Lovett, love him, Jimmy Buffett, R.E.M., the Black Crows, and yes, Leonard Skinnerd. For the young people out there, look him up. And this is because there's depth in Dixie, one that plays muse to those of us inclined to interpret and examine. Maybe sing a love song. It lies beneath the wraparound porches and behind the polite banter in the tiny, time-warped towns that dot the valleys. It is evident in the writings of Thomas Jefferson, notably the Declaration of Independence, in perhaps one of history's great ironies, this document, written by a Southern gentleman and a slave owner, includes what has been called the greatest sentence ever written. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Still, at least for Yankees, the Hollywood-invented Dukes of Hazard TV show seems a more typical example of Southern culture. Now, I'm not putting the blame squarely in the lap of unwatchable early 80s television here. Um, it would appear the South's reputation as a cultural backwater has been around for a while. I mean, it really took off in the 1920s when Yankee writer H.L. Mencken penned this satirical piece highlighting the South's inability to produce anything of cultural value. He became wildly popular after the publication of his essay, and his perceptions have stuck, kind of taking on a life of their own and feeding the imaginations of coastal city rats. Case in point, again, <laughs> years ago, 
when I acted in this British play, you know, way back when, um, when I was a theater rat. So anyway, I acted in this, in this British play uh, called Grace by Doug Lucy, and I portrayed a Southern woman. And this, this theater critic, New York City born and bred, spotlighted my excellent Southern accent while disparaging another actress whose cadence, he said, seemed fake to him. Only that I'd gotten my accent from TV, probably the Dukes of Hazard, and my fellow actress was a real live Southerner from Alabama who was speaking in her own voice, her own cadence, her own accent. Now, I'm not saying this to pick on the critic, not much anyway. It's, it's just that we Northerners think we know Southerners the way people think they know Britney Spears. We're vaguely aware that regional inflections exist, but are utterly incapable of distinguishing between a Texan's drawl and a Virginian's lilt. We snicker about the South's preoccupation with the Civil War, the reenactors, and we cheer, perhaps rightly, when statues of Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee are torn down. Wall, 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 if I can quote Scarlett O'Hara. As Northerners, we say, get over it. But can we really blame Southerners for their obsession? The Civil War was the pivotal event in our country's history. The one that scarred us, shaped us, grew us up, and made us who we are today. And it happened on Southern soil. The fighting and the bleeding, the burning, the gouging and the tears. Then the aftermath, the shame which lives on. As Sally Mann points out in her memoir, Southerners are the only non-immigrant Americans who know what it's like to lose, to return home in utter defeat, to crawl back to their families quite literally on their hands and knees, to have been on the wrong side of history and morality. When you look at other cultures who have had to navigate devastating losses, the Slavs, the Germans, the Jews, Africans, African Americans, really, so many places around the world, they share with the American South a fixation on who we are that I think is difficult for your average American Yankee to understand. But here's my interpretation. Yes, the South was the place of lynchings and the Ku Klux Klan. But it's also a place of self-reflection, of having to own up to devastating mistakes, of trying painfully, desperately to change without losing a sense of identity and dissolving into self-loathing and bitterness or violence. Despite the specter of the past, 
maybe because of it, there's a fellowship here that I never encountered in any place I've lived in the North. A sense of family and a level of comfort between the classes and yes, the races that I admit took some getting used to. And that's not because I didn't like it, but because I simply didn't expect it. In many parts of the South, including in my own neighborhood, um, the poor, the middle class, and the rich still live on the same street. And when there's a big storm, we offer those who lost power a place to hang out. When there's snow, we help shovel each other's driveways. We know each other's kids. We smile and we wave at each other. We don't lock our doors. And yes, I mean, we know. We've been living here long enough that we can't say they very credibly anymore. This is the place that our children call home. And there are Confederate flags tacked in the windows of ramshackle country homes. And there's a proliferation of don't tread on me license plates. Delusions of grandeur permeate every level of society. Sometimes there is ignorance and a simultaneous fear of moving on and being left behind. But Southerners don't have the luxury of placing themselves above it all the way Northerners do, the way I used to. Because Southerners have had to look one another in the eye for a long time. They've had to deal with the disgraceful past, clumsily, clumsily perhaps, imperfectly, but with a sense of the local that Sally Mann inherently understands her images of Civil War battlefields depict strips of land that have absorbed blood, death, and despair, but remain luxurious, reclining sensually and with a weary grin. They tell our story. And damn, I so, so recommend that, um, that you look up some of Sally Mann's, well, in general, you know, her photography is, is really stunning and interesting and thought-provoking and perhaps rage-inducing. I do have friends who are like, I cannot stand her. The pictures she took of her children really disturbed me. Um, I love her work. I, I find it really intriguing and thought-provoking. And um, her her pictures, her photographs of the South are, I think, really worth having it's just worth having a look they are <laughs> hypnotic I, I just uh i could look at them all day <laughs> so um anyway i continue to think about the local and um i am trying very hard to inhabit the local of bombay <laughs> as i write my um my detective noir my cold war detective noir and it's interesting though because then the next project that i will be writing although it is um historical fantasy a great deal of it does take place strangely in central Vir virginia it's sort of this 
you know, portal fantasy that that um, takes place, uh, you know, in the ancient past and and in certain times in history, but has its anchor um, in Central Virginia around this this family of archaeologists. So, um, you know, even this this Cold War thriller writer and daughter of Im- immigrants is sort of pivoting. Um, I've been, you know, pivoting in my own way towards the local, even in my writing. Um, as, as always, uh, I, I will have show notes and, um, you know, critical links, and uh, we'll, we'll give information on on book sales, etc. And um, otherwise, until next time, stay cold, my friends, and. Enjoy your week.